Welcome to the Spot Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Today we're talking about managing hunger to optimize your health. My guest is Dr. Katrina Ubel, who is a master certified life and weight loss coach and host of the popular Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. After completing her pediatric residency at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Katrina worked in a private pediatric practice for 10 years, during which time she lost 45 pounds in 12 months without surgery, pills, unhealthy crash diets, or fitness apps. Now retired from medical practice, Katrina has leveraged her experience as a pediatrician and as a mother to help other busy doctors prioritize their health and achieve permanent weight loss. In this interview, Katrina explains the difference between emotional hunger and true physical hunger and how people with busy schedules from working parents to ER doctors can stay healthy, focused, and energetic even when they can't eat three nutritious meals a day because they're so busy. And Katrina also discusses pitfalls to look out for with intermittent fasting That's because it's so popular right now But this is something, there's an aspect of this that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And she shares some things with us today in this interview. So please enjoy the interview. Katrina, it's great to have you on the Spa Doctor podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So um, you, you made an interesting transition. You went from being a doctor to being a health coach. Most people like do they don't become, they either become a health coach and then a doctor or maybe one or the other, but not that direction. So what Usually not you yep. to do that? Well, you know, I really struggled with my weight forever. I mean, as a kid, as a young kid, not so much necessarily, but definitely in high school, there was definitely like, I'd lose a bunch of weight when I was on swim team in the fall. And then I'd gain it later in the year. I was definitely using food to make myself feel better. You know, I was definitely an emotional eater, even though I had literally no awareness that I was an emotional eater. Like I really did not know that about myself. I just thought I liked food. And then I struggled in college. I went to a particularly challenging college and of course chose like the heart, what everyone considered to be the hardest major. And then halfway through that decided to go to medical school. So, I mean, my senior year before applying to medical school, I was taking so many credits and I had some classes like required classes that even overlapped. So I had to get special approval from the professors to let me run, you know, like, like halfway through this class across the campus to this other class. Like it was just... Uh, you know, I, I've been a pretty ambitious person and, and a high achiever and definitely used food to make that possible. Then with medical school, it really hit. It was just like, okay, now you don't get to do any of the other things that you really like to do that are fun and enjoyable for you. And all you can really do to make yourself feel better is eat because you really can't do what your body is telling you to do. You can't sleep when you want to sleep. You can't eat when you want to eat. You can't go to the bathroom when you, your body's telling you you need to go. You know, it, it really just kind of became the, the, that one thing that I had that kind of got me through. And so then I thought, I kept thinking, you know, I just need to get to my attending life. Like I need to get out of my training. So of course, residency was the same way. And I thought like, that's going to be the solution. And then, you know, I could always lose weight through Weight Watchers. I'm a lifetime member, but I could not keep it off for longer than honestly, like even a couple of weeks. Like it, I was not willing to keep counting points the rest of my life. And I didn't really understand how that would, 
could be a problem. <laughs> like I kept just thinking like this problem will just solve itself and then I'll, I'll just eat a little more quote unquote normally. And then I should be able to keep this weight off. And of course that never happened and throw in some pregnancies and I always lost the baby weight, but then I would just go back to eating at night and eating before bed and, you know, eating even at work to make myself feel better. And then I'd gain it back again. So what ended up happening was I was getting close to my 40th birthday. And I, I think, you know, those milestone birthdays, we often have kind of a life reevaluation. And I was definitely doing that, rethinking everything. And I had lost the weight after my last child. I knew I was done having babies. And I, I really, really like swore to myself, like, I mean, at this time, I am not going to gain this weight back. Except then I did. <laughs> I was like, crap, like, this is so hard. And the thing about this is when you're in practice, so I was practicing as a pediatrician, I had a great practice you know, people can tell that you struggle with your food, like they can see it on your body. It's not like it's a, a quiet thing, similar to skin issues, right? People can see that on you. And it's not I mean, you know, there's things you can do, and you can dress it and you can whatever, but, but it, it's pretty obvious. And there's this added layer of shame and humiliation for doctors who are overweight, because we kind of feel like hypocrites, right? Like, here I am telling you how you should feed your child so that he or she can grow up healthy, or how the family should be doing certain things. And then I'm knowing full well, I'm not doing those things, right? It's just, it's like this, this misalignment. It just doesn't feel right. And so at the same time, I found life coaching for a totally separate issue. I was struggling with a relationship in our family and I felt like I needed some help. I felt like it was probably me who was the problem, but I didn't know what to do. And I had already tried therapy a number of years prior and I, I found it to be helpful, but I didn't think it would be what I needed in this case. And so a friend who literally had taught me Pilates years prior, she'd actually moved away. She had one time mentioned to me, hey, I think I want to become a life coach, which I didn't even really know what that meant. I just heard that term on Oprah when she would have Martha Beck on. <laughs> I just liked, I was like, I guess it's just a coach for your life. But anyway, I thought, well, I should just reach out to her and see just if she ever did that, because maybe that's what I need. And she just finished her training. She did two sessions with me and completely changed my life. She taught me some, some basic tools. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I actually considered becoming a coach right then, but I, we were in the middle of a massive house renovation. My youngest was like, you know, 12 months old. It was just not a good time, <laughs> but maybe later, maybe later. And so fast forward a little bit longer, I was really just kind of not feeling super sad with my practice anymore. I think in hindsight, I was really feeling very stagnant. Um, I couldn't have really articulated it in that way then. I don't think I had the awareness around it, but that's for sure what was happening for me. I just didn't see opportunities for growth anymore there. Not like I knew everything, right? Certainly not like I was like, I'm an expert in all things pediatrics, but I just didn't feel, I felt like, like, give me any baby who can't sleep and I'll get them to sleep. Like give me any baby with, or, you know, young child with growth issues or eating issues, I can fix it. Like it just didn't feel that challenging anymore. And so I just was kind of dissatisfied for some other reasons. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to just take a break. And I am granted walking away from, you know, a 10 plus year practice that I had worked so hard to develop and nurture and, and you know, really train these people the way I wanted, it, I wanted it to be. Like you can't recreate that. You know, there's no take backs on this. You can't go back. But I really strongly felt like this is, this is what I need to do. And so while I was waiting for my, you know, I gave them a six month notice, like while I was waiting to leave, I was like, oh, that's right. I wanted to be a life coach too. Maybe I should do that. Never thinking I would ever have a business. I just wanted to know it for me and my kids and, and that kind of thing. And 
at the same time, so I basically signed up for coach training and a intensive seven month long weight loss program using the same tools, like all at the same time. So I kind of did everything all at the same time, left and became a coach and lost way more weight than I ever thought I could. Like literally like did not think it would be possible for me as an adult to lose that weight. And I just became obsessed with telling people about it and helping other people. Like I had struggled so much as a doctor. Like I literally had Googled weight loss for doctors, weight loss for physicians. Like certainly somebody must be helping the doctors lose weight. And all that came up were medical weight loss clinics. And I was like, I don't need shots. I don't need pills. I don't need surgery. I need something different that's going to help me. And I felt like I had worked with a nutritionist and she just like didn't get my life. Like she was just like, okay, in the middle of clinic in the afternoon, you have to stop and eat a snack. And I was like, never going to happen. Like, I'm just, no, when I'm already behind, you know, people don't like waiting in the doctor's office. Most people, right? Like, like when I'm already behind, I'm not going to stop and eat something like, no, like I kept thinking it doesn't have to be so complicated. Like, why does it seem so hard? Like, shouldn't humans just know how to eat in a way that's healthy? Like, why is this so difficult? So anyway, I just learned all of this stuff. And I thought, you know, there might be some other doctors who want help with this too. Cause I know I struggled so much. And so I thought, I mean, I could give a business a try. Why not? And um, yeah, I'm so glad I did. Cause I fell in love with entrepreneurship, which was a fun little extra, but, um, but also I've now helped, you know, over a thousand women physicians in clinical practice to lose weight, but to lose it permanently. And we do that by working on our brains because that is that was the key part I was missing. I kept thinking like I needed better systems. I was vegan for five years. Like maybe that's what I need to do. Like I, I kept thinking it was about the food and I had to really learn that it actually isn't about the food. I mean, yes, it helps when you eat food that, you know, supports your body, but it's your brain. It is totally your brain and your whole experience of your life that you're creating with your brain that determines how you're eating, how you're supporting your body. And so the weight loss is just kind of like this added extra kind of bonus result when you learn how to manage your mind. And so I've been doing that now for four years and I couldn't love it anymore. I love, I just love it so much. That's great. Fantastic. Well, in the beginning I said health coach and you're saying life coach. And I'm so, I'm sorry for saying the wrong thing, but. Oh, that's okay. No, but I think of them as very similar, but maybe you can explain to everybody what's the difference between a life coach and a health coach. Well, I mean, the first thing you have to understand is that these industries are highly unregulated. Right. So like literally anybody can just like, you know, put up their shingle and say, I'm a life coach, I'm a health coach and maybe have no training at all. You know, maybe they're just like interested in reading articles online or whatever, just have their own opinions. So what that actually means, you know, you have to look into it <laughs> to see what, do, what does the person actually mean? I'm master certified as a life and weight loss coach. So that what that means is that I've gone through specific training programs um, for my regular certification, then my master certification, um, I've learned life coaching tools, and then I've learned specifically how to apply them to the the problem of being overweight and overeating. So that's what I think of when I think of a, a weight coach. Um, my understanding, because I never really looked into like health coaching, but my understanding is that most health coaching programs are focused um, more specifically like on nutrition, on you know healthy living, um, and things like that. And, um, and while that is amazing and great, um, I think it's variable how much um, of a skill level a health coach will have in terms of helping you really digging deep into like your beliefs and your thoughts and your emotions and that kind of stuff. And so like I often will do like two hour long coaching calls with my clients and like group, group calls and, you know, coach eight, nine people and we don't talk about food once. 
because, and they're all trying to lose weight, right? Like it's because it's not about the food. It's like the food is what makes our lives tolerable. So what we have to learn is how to make our lives tolerable using our brains, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're like, my brain is making my life intolerable in this area. So then I want to numb out or take a break. Or I always think of like, you know, the easy button, hit the easy button, have a drink, get a snack, just so that I don't have to feel it or think about it or deal with it. I can avoid it. And instead we're like, okay, well, so what are you actually thinking and feeling? And, you know, you're in charge of those always. So maybe you want to choose to think differently about it. Maybe you can actually let food just be there to nourish yourself and allow yourself to feel your emotions. And so we spend so much time on allowing urges to eat, reducing over desire, you know, getting hunger to be at a normal level, but it's actually not that hard to do that. So once you get kind of the food squared away and stuff, the weight loss is like easy. That's really, I would say that's like the least interesting part about what we do. (laughs) Well, and you know, you said some interesting things about how eating isn't necessarily intuitive for most people, like how to eat. We just think that it would be something that comes natural, but the emotional eating aspect of, of eating and food is what, what's really troubling for people, right? I mean, how common would you say emotional eating is? Well, you know, I would say pretty much everybody does it at least a little bit because my husband, who I thought wasn't an emotional eater, when I went through my whole process, I always say like he lost 25 pounds through osmosis. Like he wasn't really doing any of the real work, but just by kind of paying attention to what I was doing and things like that. And we didn't even know he had weight to lose. We're like, oh, look at that. Like it just fell off. And I remember him saying, I was like, well, you're not an emotional eater. And he's like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I am. Cause he's a doctor too. And they keep snacks in their office. They go to Costco and get like the big, you know, those um, peanut butter filled pretzels and like peanut M&Ms and things like that just for the staff. And he's like, oh, I totally will have to go finish some notes and I'll grab a handful of peanut butter pretzels and, you know, eat those or a patient will no show and I'll think, Oh, great. I'll just go get a snack now. Like that is not because he's hungry or because his body is needing food. So I always think of it like emotional eating is eating for any reason outside of fuel for your body. And we could probably say, you know, we could include there in there, like, you know, the occasional pre-planned pleasure because it's normal for humans to get pleasure out of their food. Like our our brains are literally designed to reward us for eating because if we eat, then we get nutrients and then we're more likely to be able to get through an illness. We're more likely to make it through the winter and not starve to death, right? Like it's, it's normal for us to like what we eat, but what's happened is that as, which is really, it's only been about the last 100, 150 years as humans have figured out how to concentrate that pleasure that we get from food in the form of flour, in the form of sugar, and then adding it to everything our brains now are totally confused. They're just like, oh my gosh, like I thought those berries were important, but you know, this candy, oh my gosh, like this is, this is the thing because it's, it's like dose dependent. And then what ends up happening when you're eating food like that, that gives you so much of that pleasure, your dopamine receptors are so flooded that the brain starts thinking we need to downregulate our dopamine receptors. This is the same thing that happens with drug addiction. So downregulates your dopamine receptors so that that eating all that sugar doesn't make you feel as good as it did in the beginning. I always think about like if you've ever seen um, a one-year-old child eat cake on their birthday for the first time, like their first time getting sugar, like their reaction typically, they're first like very tentative and not sure and what is this and ooh, it's sticky and then they taste it and their faces just light up. They're like, Oh my God, what was that? I need more. It's so good, right? Like that's what our brains do. 
And then we, but then when we don't uh, downregulate those dopamine receptors, then what we end up finding is like, it's not enough. We need more. We feel like we have more urges to have more. And if you stop eating it, you actually feel pretty bad for a little while. The good news is that your brain will repopulate those dopamine receptors. But going back to what you were saying about, you know, is like, are people, some people just emotional eaters? I don't think anybody's born that way. I think everybody is born knowing how much food to eat. Like, can you overfeed a baby? Yes, you can, but it requires effort. You know, as a pediatrician, people would ask me this all the time, especially when they had really, really chunky fat babies, which is, is a healthy thing. Yeah, you know, it's what we want to see. But like babies, when they're done, they're done. And you know, if you, if you really encourage them, they might take a little more and then they'll usually like spit it up or vomit a little bit because it was too much. They know. And, and toddlers, too, if they're really just left to eat whatever they want, they will stop. And, and this was a big eye opener for me. As I was losing weight, I had like this last time I had all three of my children at different ages and to be able to watch them having like a cookie or something for dessert and then stopping mid cookie and saying, I'm done, I'm full. I don't need any more. Like I found that to be so fascinating because like there's always room for the rest of the cookie, like in my mind, right? I'm like, what do you mean? There's like, of course you can find a crack in there where that cookie will fit, you know? So just watching them be totally done in the middle of the ice cream. I don't want any more. Like that's healthy. Like that's normal to be so in tune with your body to know I don't need any more. But if you were raised like I was to be encouraged to finish your food, the clean plate club, don't waste that. Um, I mean, that was a huge part of my upbringing you learn at an early age to ignore your signals. You learn to, you know, do I want to eat this food? Well, what am I going to do with it? If I'm not going to save it, I'm going to throw it out. I better eat it because that's what the message is that I'm getting from the people around me. And so, um, so I think for those of us who are raised in that environment, we just have to basically reeducate ourselves. We have to unlearn those patterns. I mean, and I will tell you, I mean, it's taken me, I, I still work on it because I still have little, little nuggets of it that come up for me from time to time. But I have had to really work on like wasting food, throwing, you know, quote unquote, wasting it, like throwing it away and really believing like eating extra food is, is also wasting it. It's just wasting it on my body because it's not like, oh, later, I'm just not going to eat for two weeks while I, you know, allow myself to utilize all that extra energy. No, you still are eating all your normal meals. It's too much food. And, um, and I really check myself in terms of how I respond to, you know, what my kids are doing. Like, like the other day I had made, you know, zucchinis in season. Now I made a chocolate zucchini cake for the family and I didn't even have any of it, but I knew that they would enjoy it. And, and my daughter was eating it and she's, Oh, it's so great. And then she left. I mean, it was probably three bites left. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, yes. Okay. Today I'm winning as a mom that she just left it. She said she was done. She'd had enough. And cause growing up, I would have totally been encouraged to eat that, like mm -hmm. just finish that up. And, um, and so it's, it's really becoming aware of those habits that just, you've probably been doing them so long that you don't even realize that that's what they are. They really are habits that encourage you to overeat. Right. So how do you know when to eat and when that hunger, that feeling is more of an emotional need? Like how, yeah. because we, we still need to eat, right? Yes, so, we do. <laughs> and we, you know, we need nutrition. And, and of course, what you've talked about, about sugar being like as addictive as a drug, you know, it's basically is really addictive. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge issue. But this, beyond that, like, how do we, how do we know? How do we regulate that? 
Yeah. Well, so here's what happens when you are eating sugar and flour containing foods on a regular basis. And if you're, you know, honestly, if you're eating anything that's like, you know, pretty processed or pre-made for you, probably you are consuming it on a regular basis because sugar is in so many things in particular with under all kinds of different names. Like you literally have to just like Google the list because there's so many of them. Um, so when you're consuming flour and sugar on a regular basis, it really does kind of mess up your hunger signals, meaning that when you feel hunger, it's an inappropriate amount of hunger. Like if you've ever felt like hangry, you know, the combination of hung, hung, hungry and angry, or if you've ever, um, you know, some people are like, my stomach is going to eat itself, or like, I feel like I'm going to faint, like that intensity of hunger is abnormal. Because if you think about like the, the vast majority of human existence, food was scarce, for sure in the winter it was scarce, and certainly there was not food around available for you to snack on every two to three hours. Like it just, that's just not normal for humans, except the snack food industry has now convinced us that it is normal. So we think if we're not eating all of the time, then it's going to be a problem. But the, when a human body is functioning normally, it really feels great when it doesn't eat. <laughs> it's, it would not make sense for you to feel like you wanted to die if you hadn't eaten after a couple of hours when you need to go out and like kill an animal or find a tree with, you know, or a root or like something that you can eat. Like you need energy, you need to feel good. So when you're eating sugar and flour on a regular basis, your body, rather than accessing your fat stores like willingly or happily to create energy for you, it will just make, basically make you feel like crap. Like it'll just make you feel like you want to die. And we respond to that. We're like, oh my gosh, I feel bad. I need to eat right away. And usually what we grab is something that contains some easily digestible form of energy, like something containing flour and sugar. And then the cycle just continues. When you take a break from eating those foods regularly, what you find is that your body becomes more what's called fat adapted, which just means that your body, I mean, your body always knows how to access your fat and turn it into glucose for your cells, but it's just like more happy to do it essentially. Like I always think of it as when you're fat adapted, um, your hunger signals are like, like a little wave just lapping at your ankles. It's just like a little suggestion. It's like a little whisper, like, Hey, you know, we could like eat right now. That would be cool you know, if it's a good time. And if it's not a good time, because you're busy, or you're just, you know, not wanting to snack or whatever, then it's fine. And the hunger goes away and your body, I always say it does eat, it just dines in, it eats the extra meals that you have stored on your body, right? So it just happily does that. But when you're a sugar burner, it feels like you've got this massive wave just crashing over your head, like you're getting clobbered by that hunger. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I have to solve this. This is a problem that needs solving and food is the solution right away. So when you can get yourself to that place of being fat adapted, your energy is so even, you feel really, really good. So it's not like, oh, you're not eating and you're suffering. It's like, you're not eating and you feel amazing. And so I always think like, if you could just pay attention to the signals your body is sending you, like that's so helpful. So when it comes to hunger, when you're fat adapted, if you, what you find is that first of all, you're not hungry very often at all because most of us are overeating, right? So we're, we are being confused into thinking we need more food than our body really needs. So when you're fat adapted, your hunger signals are, are recalibrated. Essentially you can listen to them when your body is telling you, I am hungry it's probably a good, idea, a good idea to to eat, but you just find that you're just not that hungry. Now, emotional eating, or I'm sorry, emotional hunger is very similar. Like I always say, like, you know, always like feels like what it feels like to be hungry. But if you really get to know your hunger and what it feels like in your body, 
I find with myself and with my clients that emotional hunger is like slightly different. It's a little bit different. And so if you learn to pay attention, you can tell the difference. So I'll, I'll kind of describe to you how it's different for me. So again, when I am physically hungry, it just kind of comes on gradually. I start noticing, oh, I'm a little bit hungry. And then, oh, you know, I, I could definitely eat. Oh, okay, it's probably going to be time soon. I think I'm going to, you know, prepare some food now. It, it kind of, you know, gradually comes on. Emotional hunger is like, boom, like I'm so hungry right now. It's just like hits me very quickly. It doesn't build up. On the, the flip side of that, it also will go away very quickly. Like I have found sometimes like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And then five minutes later, it's gone. I'm like, yeah, that's not real hunger at all. And often this comes maybe an hour or two after you just ate a nice meal. So it really doesn't make sense. Like, why are you, you know, like if you think like, why am I hungry right now? I mean, I just ate. Well, probably not because you need food, probably because your body is just sending you signal to try to get you to eat in order to not feel an emotion or to soothe yourself or comfort yourself in some way. So when you're open to exploring that and not judging yourself for every single sensation that you have, you can start to explore that and figure that out and start going, you know what? Like I can tell the difference here when it's like the real hunger and when it's emotional and it's important to know the difference for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell it too. I, um, I absolutely. And, and sometimes it's something like, you know, I've recorded a podcast and I have a little time and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what, you know, and it's, it's not really, it's not necessarily that I need food, but I can just, I kind of get this. It's a different kind of feeling. I don't even know how to describe mm -hmm. it. Um, but for me, sometimes I'll just, if I just get like some tea or maybe, you know, usually I mean, yeah. tea is one of my favorite things because it's got, it's like, it's, I'm in the kitchen. I get something. It tastes kind of like the kind of tea I like, the herbal teas. It tastes kind of sweet. So it's that, that feeling, but I ha I'm not putting honey or anything in there to mm -hmm. affect my blood sugar. And I think it is important. I mean, and I talk about it in my book, Clean Skin from Within to when you can do some sort of reset. So in my book, I have a two week program and it sort of gets people off sugar for two weeks. And when they stop eating sugar and they take it out, um, they realize that it's amazing how different your hunger is. And, and, mm -hmm. but I know it's not always easy to make that change, to just give up sugar. So yeah. what, what do you tell, what, what are some tips for people to make that shift? And I mean, do you, um, do you work with people like processing these emotions? Um, tell me, tell people yeah. what, what it, what the process is. Yeah. So, so I've, you know, over the years, I have seen people try to do it in all different ways. I actually recommend just the cold turkey rip off the bandaid, like just, just stop having it. But that doesn't mean you do like you stop having it and right. You're like trying to intermittent fast and like start a new workout regimen and like all these other things, right? Like this is all we're working on is just not doing that. So what I tell my clients during that time is you can eat as often as you need to right? Because often when we're coming off of it, we feel so hungry. We have those cravings. And so if you feel like you need to eat something, you can eat it. So you can have all the snacks you want. 
Um, I think that actually allowing some 85% or darker dark chocolate for some people can actually be really helpful. So usually say up to like two squares a day. So really not a ton, but just a little bit can help. I remember when I first tried that, I was like, ew, this is disgusting. It's so bitter. But as your taste buds adjust, you actually can learn to like it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have it, but it can help some people. And I also find that when you make sure that you're having plenty of healthy fat during that time, so not eating like, you know, a whole bunch of bacon necessarily, but like having a lot of avocado and, um, and olive oil and, and just, you know, olives or things like that. Um, it really helps you feel nicely sated. So you aren't feeling like I'm dying. I'm so hungry. It's, you're just really dealing with that, um, with that, that kind of weaning off. I've had people try to kind of go gradually. I think it's just, it's so in everything. I don't know that that's like the, the best way to do it. I don't actually think it's easier for them. I think they just make it take longer and I don't think they get a better result. So I usually just say like, let's just, let's just do it. We support them. I always tell people like, yeah, you may not feel great for a couple of weeks. And that's okay. I usually find the first week is the worst kind of for women, depending on where their cycle is, if they're, you know, having their period during week two, that's maybe a little less than ideal, <laughs> you know, just cause that can be when it's harder anyway. But usually by week three, week four, it, they're like, I can't even believe this. Like I can, I haven't, I, I'm barely ever hungry. Like my energy is so much better. I'm sleeping better. Like they start to see immediate results and it makes that week or two that was hard worth it for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so as someone that has had this crazy busy schedule as a pediatrician and you, you know, the people that you help, what are some tips that you can give people that are super busy? And I mean, I mean, obviously you can't quit your, not everybody can change jobs like you did. Yeah. <laughs> so right, right. what other suggestions would you have besides changing careers? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that I really pride myself on is I work with all of these different doctors who have all different kinds of specialties and all kinds of different jobs. And now in COVID time, like even more so, you know, they can't eat if they have all their PPE equipment on and all of that. It's, it's, um, many have like all kinds of shift changes. Many of them, like some of them are surgeons and they're like, well, I'm going into a nine hour surgery. You know, like, like my nutritionist who said, you need to eat a snack. Like, she's not going to scrub out in the middle of her surgery to go eat a snack unless like literally she cannot make it. Right. So I pride myself on saying like, I've never worked with a doctor that we couldn't come up with some sort of solution that worked. So this is where time restricted eating or some people call it intermittent fasting can be super helpful, um, which is so much better to do when you are already fat adapted. So I always ask like, you know, get yourself fat adapted first and then your body will automatically kind of move toward that anyway, where you find like, I'm just so not that hungry. It's really not that big of a deal to push back a meal. Um, I, what I do is I help each individual client to create their own plan. And I think this is important for weight loss, no matter who you are, but especially when you have um, an unusual schedule or an unpredictable schedule, which, you know, these days, I feel like that's actually most people. And so what that means is looking at, you know, what are your options and then looking at your life, looking at the foods you like and just eating those. Like, I can't even tell you how many like healthy quote unquote, you know, smoothies I've had and like, you know, healthify this, that, and the other thing. None of those things even tasted good to me. Like I made a rule for myself a few years ago. Like I don't eat food that I don't like. Like if I don't think it tastes good, I don't care how healthy everyone says it is. Like that, that's, I'm just not doing that. You know, I'm just not going to do that. So, um, so you 
look at your schedule and you figure it out for yourself. For, so for some people, they might be like, you know what? My days are so busy. I really would rather have like a solid breakfast and then be able to fast all the way through till dinner. Great. But what most people find is they're like, you know what? I'm so busy in the morning. I was usually skipping breakfast anyway, or I was, um, you know, just kind of grabbing something, some, you know, sugary breakfast bar or something like that. Like, are you saying it's okay for me to just skip breakfast and not eat till lunch? I'm like, yeah, it is actually okay. Especially if that's what your body naturally wants to do. So then, you know, planning out what you can eat. So here's an example. Like if you have a really short lunch break, you know, bringing like a massive salad is probably not a good idea because you can't eat it fast enough right? Like it takes time to chew that all up, right? So you have to think to yourself like, okay, what foods are on plan for me? Meaning like not containing sugar and flour and support my body, taste good to me, help me to feel satisfied until my next meal. So if that's going to be like five hours, six hours, seven hours, experimenting with that to figure that out and then eating that. So I think that um, having a ton of variety in your um, eating, especially when you're trying to lose weight is not a good idea. It just adds complexity to something that already feels challenging. So not that you eat the same thing every day, but you don't have lots and lots of options. Like I usually say like for dinners and stuff, like come up with 10, maybe 15 that you like to have that are kind of perennial favorites that your family generally is like happy to have. Um, and then you just repeat those again and again and again. You just make it so simple for yourself um, by keeping it, you know, really constrained and dialed in. And then you have to experiment. So this is the part that a lot of people don't like to do. They are like, I want to, you know, especially my clients, right? Like I want to get the gold star. I want to get the A plus. Like what are the rules? I want to make sure I lose three pounds that first week on this plan. Like I want to make sure this works and I'm feeling amazing. And really it's going to be to a certain extent, anyone's guess, like some people will hit it right on the head, right out of the gate, but some people will find like, you know what, that didn't last me long enough. Like I, I really, I was really, really having a hard time at four o'clock. Like I need to re-sort out my lunch or I'm feeling great, but my, the scale's not budging. So, okay. What do we need to do? What, where do we need to look at things? So I always say though, like if you're losing weight for the last time and what you're figuring out about yourself is what's going to help you to keep your weight off and maintain that weight loss, then what's the rush, mm -hmm. right? Like if we are in a hurry, we can do any of the commercial diet plans out there and get the weight off only for you to still not be able to make it work in your life and gain the weight back again. So why not just go ahead and sort it all out? And then it truly is an individual, an individualized plan that you've created for yourself with guidance, but for yourself. And you're so much more likely to want to follow that when you've created it, right? Like I used to get, you know, I would sign up for some diet thing and they'd give you like, you know, three or four weeks of meal plans and recipes. Well, I maybe would have eaten those things, but every recipe would take me so much longer to make because I'd never made it before. I would look at things and go like, you know, I'd eat that. My husband probably would, but there's no way my kids are going to eat that. So now am I signing up for like the short order cook, like making everybody different things? I found the same thing when I tried counting macros. Like I would literally make the family a whole meal. They'd sit down to eat and I'd go back into the kitchen to make my kind of weird cobbled together meal to make the macros fit. I was like, no, this is not going to work. So I really, really push my clients to make it so that it works for everyone in the household. You know, maybe not everybody's eating exactly the same thing, but with some minor modifications, like this is how you make it sustainable and easy for yourself. So anybody who's busy, like you just have to get into that solutions focused mindset. What most of us do is we like to just sit around and see why there's all these problems and complain about them. But what instead I suggest is that you ask your brain to find the solution. Your brain really wants to close that loop. 
it will do whatever you ask it to do. So if you ask it to help you to figure out how to make this work, it will come up with good ideas for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, I think it is important to individualize it, to realize where you are. If you're alone or if you have family members, you have other people, if um, you've been eating healthy or this is new to you. Uh, I think also, I mean, I know we, what we know about the microbiome and the research around the microbiome, that eating diverse foods, eating different fruits and vegetables and getting plenty of fiber is really important for the gut microbiome. But you don't necessarily have to start there. Like just get into a schedule that you, like you're talking about where you're eating at the right times and you're finding that balance. And then you can start adding in the little, um, the details that some other health experts talk about. And uh, so I, I love what you're talking about. I really appreciate it. I did want to, before we end, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the mistakes people make with intermittent fasting? Because there are some unhealthy habits that for I want sure. to make sure you talk about. Yeah, yeah. Thank aware. you for bringing that up. Yeah, because some people are like, isn't that an eating disorder? And I'm like, <laughs> no, but it can be. So let's talk about the differences. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's why I think some people like the term time-restricted eating better just because fasting, you know, people get like hung up on that. So the way I like to think about intermittent fasting is what you're doing is you're eating all of the food you would typically eat over a whole day, just over a shorter time period. So you're still nourishing yourself in a, in a really good way. You're just eating more food over a shorter time period. That doesn't mean you're like stuffing yourself. Okay. So you're not like totally like overeating. You're like so full, overly full. It's not that. It's allowing your body to access the fat stores that you have on your body and doing that to create the energy that you need for a longer period of time, which keeps your insulin levels lower, which is good for making you more insulin sensitive. The more insulin sensitive you are, the easier it is to lose weight and the more rapidly the weight comes off. Also lowers your weight set point so that your body really wants to stay at a lower weight versus like the old way of losing weight, you know, calorie reduction where you barely eat anything. And like the minute you have like one cookie, you gain five pounds. Like you're like, what, how is this possible? Um, so, uh, so that is intermittent fasting. Like when you, if you haven't eaten for a while, when you eat, you're eating a beautiful, nutritious, varied meal with, you know, food that tastes good to you and you're eating to a, the a healthy satiety level where it turns into an eating disorder is when you don't eat for an extended period of time. And then you have like an egg white and, you know, half a clementine or something, right? Like that is not how this works. Like if you, you don't eat for a while and then you definitely eat and nourish yourself. I have definitely found that fasting is not a good thing for anybody who has a history of binge eating. Um, I definitely have clients who binge and I tell them like there's no intermittent fasting for them until the binging is done. And even then still fasting may not be good. Or like what I've seen is like a big um, trend right now is the one meal a day kind of trend. Um, people call it OMAD, one meal a day. And what people then do is they literally eat just dinner and then that's it. So they're basically doing a 24 hour fast every single day. In my mind, that's total diet mentality, because if you do that, yes, you will lose weight faster probably, but I think anybody who has any kind of history of emotional eating will have a very hard time keeping that up for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on that one meal to be delicious and, you know, satisfying enough. And like, sometimes we all know this, right? You eat a meal, you're like, that wasn't really that good, right? Or you go to a restaurant, it's a little disappointing. 
And so when that's all you get to eat and you don't get to eat again for another 24 hours, I find that people really do, they end up overeating. They convince themselves they need more food at that meal. Um, it, it really messes with their, their minds or they find like, I'm, I'm totally then binging at night. So I'm like, okay, we've got to dial this back. You need to be eating three meals a day for sure. You have to let your brain and body know it is totally being fed well. So, so, so it's not for everybody. It's just for, particularly for people who have very, very busy and unpredictable schedules. It's amazing. Like I remember like one time being, you know, in clinic, wrapping it up with a patient thinking, okay, now it's lunchtime. And as I was about to say goodbye, the, the child was in the mom's arms and he totally started seizing and a first time seizure ever. And I was just like, okay, well, there goes lunch, right? Like, I mean, this is not going to be like, oh, let's send her on her way or just, you know, like we, this was a big deal. And so when you are able to fast, even if you'd planned to eat lunch, but you're just really not going to be able to, because you need to be doing something else. It's not a hardship. Like it, you feel fine. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And if later I'm hungry and I have time, like I can eat some of my lunch or I can wait till dinner and have a bigger dinner. Like it's, it's, you got to make sure that your brain is in the right space for that. And, um, and, and so for um, so many of my clients, they find that it's just like the best news ever for them. It's like such a great answer. They never have to, like many of them will overeat at the end of the day because they feel so sorry for themselves for not having the chance to eat during the day. Like they end up, you know, or like I was in this long case, I need to go to the surgeon's lounge and, you know, eat whatever junk they have laying there to reward myself, like as a treat when you're fasting, it just changes your whole mindset. You're like, oh, I don't even need that. My body just totally access, you know, the fat that I have on my body. And that's cool. You know? Yeah. So, so that's, it is important to be real clear on that. If you feel like you have any kind of weirdness around it, then it's, it's a no. Yeah. Well, thank you, Katrina, for all this information. And I know we didn't really delve into, we didn't talk about the emotions behind why people eat. We didn't, talk about how to help heal those, uh, the reasons why people eat, but, um, emotional eat or have the emotional hunger, but definitely that is important. Do you have any, uh, resources or direction for people to go? I mean, we've had some people on the the spot actor podcast who talk about how to look at those emotional issues, underlying issues, but yeah. Uh, and my, on my podcast, which is called Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, there are, um, I have multiple, multiple episodes on all kinds of different emotions and how to feel them, urges, all of that. Um, that's free. You can find that on any platform. And then I also have some free resources that can be really helpful as well that people can find on, on my website, katrinaubellmd.com. Um, you can put forward slash resources or just click the resources tab. And then I'm also always on Instagram posting um, things that can be helpful. Um, my handle there is Coach Katrina Ubell, MD. Perfect. All right. Thanks again, Katrina, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Katrina. To learn more about her, just go to thespotdoctor.com. Go to the podcast page with her interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you get our information, valuable tools, such as the Skin Quiz, which you can go directly to theskinquiz.com. Find out what your skin personality type. Are you an Amber, Olivia, Sage, Emmett, or Heath? Because there can be some hidden information in there about what that might be revealing about your health. So just go to theskinquiz.com. I also invite you to join us on social media. The Spot Doctor is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You can join the conversation there. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you next time.